So, Father, I do pray that as we look at John chapter 14 for a few minutes here, I know it's a lot of announcements, but, Lord, I'm excited. What you want to do, I know you want to work. You want to work in our lives. You want to work in this church because the church is not dead. And our Savior is not dead. He is alive. And he's going to come back and receive us to himself. And I pray for the comfort would come through your word tonight, particularly to those who are anxious or troubled in their heart. And Lord, I thank you that we can be in your word and be strengthened in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, of course, this is Holy Week where it begins as on Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we talked about it on Sunday as we were looking at John chapter 12 as Jesus and a huge multitude that followed Jesus up from the Jordan Valley as he made his way to the Mount of Olives, to Jerusalem. The people that were already in Jerusalem, Matthew says that they came out to meet Jesus. The whole city was moved. That's where we get our word earthquake. It was, it was quite a happening as Jesus from the Mount of Olives would ride on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. And of course, the people were, were crying out, waving the palm branches, laying their clothes on the road and crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Hosanna in the highest. And that messianic psalm that they were ascribing to him, the king of Israel. And, and Jesus, as he came into Jerusalem, of course, that he ended up weeping because he knew that in a few short days, when they realized that he's not going to usher in the kingdom, you see, they were crying out uh, that you're our Messiah, you're the King of Israel. They were looking for that material, political, national Messiah that would deliver them from the bondage of Rome. But Jesus was coming to free them from something that was greater than the bondage of Rome or any bondage that we can have in this world that, that puts us into bondage or captivity or it just uh, causes us um, to be troubled and, and difficulties that we go through. And that is the bondage of sin and the bondage of death. Jesus was going to go to Calvary to die for our sins. And a few days after he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, when they realized that he wasn't going to usher in the kingdom and overthrow Rome, they would cry out, crucify him. We will not have this man rule over us. And after the triumphal entry, during those last days of Jesus' ministry and life, before he went to the cross, he would go into the next day after the triumphal entry to the temple. And, of course, he cleansed the temple. He drove out the uh, ones who were selling the, for the sacrifices, overturned the money changers' tables, and he rebuked the religious leaders by saying that my father's house, which is a house of prayer, you've made into a den of thieves. Well, the religious leaders were very, very upset about that. They had been plotting and planning how to put Jesus to death, how to have him arrested. So they're coming in during this last week of Jesus. It's Passover week in Jerusalem. There's great multitudes that are in Jerusalem. He's teaching the crowds. But they would come and they would challenge, first of all, his authority. They said, but whose authority do you do these things? And Jesus, of course, uh, would answer them and say, well, you answer me. Uh, John, his ministry, was it from heaven or was it from 
man, and they couldn't answer it. They came and they, they challenged his integrity. They said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And of course, Jesus marveled the crowds as in his wisdom, he would say, render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and render to God the things that belong to God. And they would question his theology as the Sadducees came and asked them about the resurrection, uh, the resurrection which they didn't believe in. And Jesus would rebuke, give a final rebuke, as you see those uh, series of woes that he would give in Matthew's gospel. He would tell Luke's gospel of the parable of the wicked vine dressers addressing the religious leaders. He would then withdraw from them. He would withdraw from his public ministry. And as we come to this section of John, John's gospel chapters 13 through 17 is what is called the upper room discourse. A quarter of John's gospel is, is given to this final night that Jesus is with his disciples as he celebrates Passover with them, has his final meal with them, and we know that all four Gospels record portions of it, but John really gives us detail of what took place on that night. And it's interesting because when they came to that upper room to, to have dinner with Jesus, to eat of the Passover, that it tells us that the disciples were still arguing who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, he instituted the Lord's Supper, with them. He would then gird himself with the towel. He would wash the disciples' feet, and he would give them that lesson that if you want to be great in the kingdom, then this is what you're to do. Follow my example. You want to be great, then you be a servant. You want to be great, it means that you wash feet. And Jesus began to, in that, that upper room, as he would then begin to tell them that one of you is going to betray me. They had no idea that it was Judas, and Judas would leave. So Jesus, at this point, as we move into chapter 14, he's with the 11 disciples that are left, and he would say to them that that not only is one of you going to betray me, which would be Judas, who would get up and he would leave. They thought that he was going to get groceries, but he's going to the religious leaders to get a detachment of troops to go arrest Jesus in the garden later that night. And we know that Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, he said that, Peter, you're going to deny me. All of you are going to be made to run away from me, and I'm going to go away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. So I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you. I give you this, this fresh commandment that you are to love one another with a sacrificial love. And Jesus is really sharing his heart with them in these last hours. And as these disciples are hearing Jesus talk about that one's going to, to betray you and we're going to be made to run away and Peter, you're going to deny and you're going to go away, even though Jesus had been talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection, they weren't understanding. They're confused. They're troubled in their hearts. They don't understand all what's coming down. Uh, they just know that Jesus is talking about dying and, and being betrayed and them running away and, and all these things. And so Jesus knows the hearts of the disciples. He knows their discouragement. He knows their sorrow. He knows their trouble, what it is that they're feeling. And he's going to give them some words of encouragement and a wonderful promise that he's not going to lead them for good, that they have a wonderful future. And he's going to give those words to us 
as we read that he's going to go and prepare a place for them and come and to receive them once again. You see, in a time where many of us and you who are listening, that you're troubled, you're wondering, that there's uncertainty, all the things that we've been feeling for the last month or so, and the Lord wants to give us words of comfort as we read this. In verse 1 of chapter 14 of John's gospel, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, and in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. And all of us in this life experience at times... <laughs> And most of us at this time that we are in, that we have troubled hearts. We have confused hearts. We go through life, and, and Jesus later on after this, he's going to say to the disciples that in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And even tonight, you might be listening and thinking, well, my troubles really doesn't have a whole lot to do with COVID-19. It doesn't help, but it may be because of family situations or, or whatever the case may be. But in those times that we have hurt and loss and trouble in our lives, Jesus gives us the same words, let not your heart be troubled. And the reason is, is first of all, you believe, you trust in me. You believe in God, verse 1, I believe also in me. And to believe in God means to believe in Jesus. In those times of trouble and in all times, we remember that I have a personal trust and faith and rest in Jesus Christ. One of the things that we realize as we walk with the Lord, that we can be thankful and blessed because we have the Lord. Can you think of all the people that are going through today's situation? They don't have the Lord. And they're looking for answers. And they're looking for comfort. And they're looking for certainty. And we can say that our certainty and our comfort and our hope is in God who loves us, and we can trust in him. He is good. And as we believe in the Lord, we can rest in him, rest in his love for us. You know the, the words of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, that trust in the Lord with all of your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. You see, there's a lot of things that we don't understand why this is happening and how could things happen so quickly and what's going to happen. And the Lord says, don't lean on your own understanding, but he wants us to lean on him. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall, not that he might, but he shall direct your paths. And it's a good verse to remember that we can fall upon his understanding and look to him. And then as Philippians chapter 4, as Paul would write that at a time, he doesn't know what is going to happen to his future. He's under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. And he says, be anxious for nothing. These guys at this time, they're very anxious. And maybe perhaps you're feeling a lot of anxiety even today during this crisis. But he goes on to say, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So real key for us that have troubled hearts is 
Keep trusting and believing in the Lord. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Go to him. Go to him in prayer. With a heart of thanksgiving. And what I mean by that is, oh Lord, I know that you see me. And you know my heart. And I come and I thank you for your love and your promises that are for me. And I know that you will direct my path and you love me. And you still have a plan. And I thank you for that, Lord. And that peace will begin to come into your heart. And every single one of us, we need that peace in our lives. The peace, the comfort that can only truly come from God in these hard times. So we come to the Father, believe in Jesus. And by the way, just a little side note. Jesus here is claiming deity. Believe in God, believe also in me. He puts himself here equal with the Father. He is the only one that you know, can put himself in the same category as the Father. In this discourse, matter of fact, in chapters 13 through 17, Jesus uses the word Father 53 times. And so Jesus says, you don't have to be troubled because you have the hope of the Father. Secondly, you have the hope of heaven. Verse 2 again, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go or since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. We have our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which means that we have the hope of heaven. Heaven is a real place. It's a glorious place. It's a place where we're going to spend time with him for all eternity, be with the Lord. And what makes heaven heaven is that he's going to be there. His glory, we're going to worship him and be there with him. Sometimes heaven gets put into kind of a earthly kinds of terms that uh, we're going to be living in this huge mansion on, you know, Alleluia Boulevard and, and Pearly Street. And, and we're going to, you know, have all the uh, prosperity and all of this. And some of the faith teachers kind of give you that idea. Listen, what's going to make heaven heaven is the Lord. And we're going to be with him and his glory is going to be so awesome, so incredible to know that there's going to be no more sin, no more difficulty, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death. And I want to point out some things in these two verses that we need to realize. He says there are many mansions. There are literally dwelling places in heaven. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you personally. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the Apostle reflects on the time that he would be caught up into heaven, into paradise. And he heard things and saw things that were indescribable, not lawful for me to utter. Earlier in that epistle in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he would write that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, heaven is going to be so glorious and so wonderful, we can't fully comprehend it all, how glorious it's going to be. So the afflictions, which are real, and they do afflict us, but the afflictions that we go through now are nothing in comparison of what awaits us in heaven. The afflictions, yes, they are painful now. And these guys have pain in their heart. The one that they left everything for to follow for three years is going to go to the cross. They don't understand. And hey, you guys, you don't 
have to be troubled right now. I do need to go away. I'm going to die for you to rise from the grave. They didn't understand that. I will ascend into heaven, and there you will be with me. So don't be troubled in your hearts. I believe as Christians, all of us should look forward to heaven, to our dwelling place, that we should look forward to when the time that we're going to see the Lord. And many Bible teachers tell us that Jesus isn't just talking about a physical new mansion that he's preparing for us, but perhaps that he's talking about the new heavenly body that we're going to receive in heaven. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, that is this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For... In this, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. So a few verses later, the apostle writes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we close our eyes and take our last breath, we're going to see Jesus. He's the very first one that we're going to see, and he's going to receive us. And I hope and I pray that those words will come forth, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will be with him in the glory and the splendor of heaven, in the presence of our Lord. And not only do we have a dwelling place in heaven, but we'll get a new heavenly habitation, a new, new body, a celestial body that Paul talks about that will take place at the resurrection, a new heavenly body that will last for all eternity. But I want us to notice something here in verse 3. Not only is he preparing a place for us, for you personally, but he says, I will come again. Jesus himself promised that he would come back. And he says, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So many Bible teachers believe that Jesus here is making a reference to the rapture of the church, that event spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I'm going to, to die in this body. I'm going to resurrect again, but I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and, and I'm going to come to receive you to myself. I'm going to come again. He's going to come for his church. He's talking to the disciples to receive us to himself. As Paul writes about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be with him. I'll take you to, to be where I am, where I'm dwelling. I'm going to tuck you away in heaven until the end of the tribulation period when we will come back with him. So the rapture of the church, he comes for his church. The second coming is when he comes with his church. We've talked about that a lot in our, our end-time study and the tribulation that will be on the earth will be in heaven with the Lord with him. And then when we come back, he'll establish his kingdom for a thousand years. That's our future. That is our future. It's not myth. It's not fable. It's not a Hollywood movie. That is our future, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And the problems and the challenges and the hurt and the pain that we go through now is the worst that it will get for us. Because Jesus has prepared a place for us in heaven. 
And that causes me, when I just really reflect on that and tuck that in my heart and, and, and to keep my eyes on heaven and to keep my eyes on the things above, as Paul wrote, and, and to keep heaven a focus in my life, that there is a peace that begins to come into my heart because I have the promise of heaven. And Jesus continues in verse 4 saying, And where I go you know, and, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, or how can we know the way? And, and these disciples who had walked with Jesus for over three years, they have heard his teachings, and, and they have seen his works. He has spoken of his crucifixion, his resurrection. He's going to go back to the Father. Jesus telling them that he's going to go away, prepare a place for them. And where I go, the, uh, and, and the way you know. And this is graduation night for these guys. And here they are kind of clueless. They don't understand. They're going, uh, Lord, where are you going? How can we know the way? And the Lord in his patience and, and he is in his compassion. He's not frustrated with them. He's not saying, you guys are so clueless. You guys should know. But as he begins to answer them, and I'm so glad, actually, that Thomas asked this question. How can we know the way to heaven? Jesus answers in the next verse. He's going to put an exclamation mark, leaving no doubt how we can know the way to heaven. People have all kinds of thoughts, don't they, today, on how to get to heaven. If I'm a good person, if I'm a sincere person, there are some that think if I belong to a church or I gave to the church, uh, I served in the church, that that's the way to heaven. And we know that Jesus makes it very clear in the New Testament that is faith in him. And Jesus says here in verse 6, this is so important, that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus saying it very plainly, very, very pointedly to where there's no mistake about what he is saying. It's a real simple answer to Thomas' question. It's also a very, very important answer. He said, I am the way, definite article, the way, not a way. I am the way. I am the truth, singularly, not a truth or one of many truths. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's not hard to understand. The question is, are we going to embrace it? And I know that most of us, that we have done that. And as you go through John's gospel, Jesus made it very clear that he is the way singularly, exclusively to the Father, to heaven. He gives those statements of I am. This is the sixth statement of deity, of the I am statements in John's gospel, as he links himself to the Father, where he says, if you believe in me, you believe in the Father. If you reject me, you reject the Father. Uh, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door to eternal life. I am the bread of life, he would say. Later on this night, he's going to say, I'm the vine. And I am the way and the truth and the life. So the question isn't the claims of Jesus. It is clear what he is claiming. It is very clear. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
And it is one of the most profound and most powerful statements concerning our salvation in all of the Bible. And it would be a few hours after Jesus said this that he would make his way to the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas would lead a detachment of troops to have him be arrested. They would bound him up. He would go through a series of trials. They would condemn him to death and then he would take a cross and he would go to Calvary and die for the sins of humanity. And he would validate what he did on that cross by rising from the grave. He proved that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He proved that he died for sinful humanity. He conquered sin and death. Sin and death has no more power over us. And I pray that that would cause us not to have a troubled heart tonight. Yes, we will have those times of conflict and fear and anxiety. But when we do, will you remember this? That the Lord says, don't be troubled in your heart. He loves you. And he's provided the greatest need that any of us have to be forgiven of sin. And the most glorious future, and that is heaven. And I pray that heaven would be in our hearts. And that we would know that he cares for us now. Even as Peter would write, that we can cast our cares on him because he does care for us. And that he is the good shepherd as he claimed to be. And we are in his hands. And listen, he's not going to let you go. And he is going to see you through. And he has prepared a place for us. And in the meantime, let's occupy till he comes. And let's give that message of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. That's the message that we give to others because we have the certainty that he is truly the Son of God as he went and died for our sins and then he rose from the grave. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem proving that he's the Son of God. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for tonight. And, and Lord, I thank you for this, this hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And it is the only hope that there is Jesus making it very clear to those disciples recorded in your word for all eternity that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And because of his love for us, he went to the cross to die for sinful humanity. And then as we're going to see on Friday, he cried out, it is finished. I did the work. I paid the price. So I want to pray if there's anyone right now you're listening and you're not right with God. You, you have not giving your life over to Jesus Christ to believe in him. He is your hope. He is your salvation. There is none other. And the invitation is given to come, to believe in him. And you can do that right where you are, realizing that you need to be forgiven. That's why Jesus came to this world. He didn't come just to be a religious leader or a, a spiritual teacher. He came as the son of God and he came for a purpose. He came to die for you and for me. Because the wages of sin is death and we've all sinned. And Jesus took your sin upon himself on that cross and made atonement for your sins and was put into a grave and he rose again and he's alive. And he says, come, believe in me. 
And as we come in faith, believing in him, we are forgiven and we have relationship to the Father. We have the spirit of adoption where we can cry out, Abba, Father, and he goes and prepare a place for us, a glorious future. Will you receive that? Will you accept that? Will you cry out to the Lord right now if you've never done that? And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again in your life speaking to my heart and I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me. And I thank you for receiving me, forgiving me for this new beginning and bringing me into the kingdom of God, the family of God. And Lord, I want to know you and walk with you and please bring comfort to my heart right now. And I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life. Amen. And listen, if you, anybody by chance, prayed that prayer, will you please get a hold of us? You know, through the website, an email, or calling us, leaving a message. But for all of us that are listening tonight, listen, the Lord wants to comfort your heart. He's your future and your hope. And whatever you're going through, we're praying for you. But the Lord knows your hurts and your challenges, and he knows the the pain, the losses, and he loves you so much. And he is with you, and you can trust in him and rest in his love and his promises for you. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our hearts in the days in which we are living in. And Lord, even in the dark times, as Mary Magdalene came to the tomb when it was dark, in these dark times, we want to keep coming to the tomb to remember that it is empty and we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray you bless everyone here. Keep, Lord, keep us healthy. Lord, provide for us. Help us minister to our families and to others. The Lord, lift our heads up and to be that place of stability and strength, a place of refuge for us. I pray you bless everyone here as we enter into Resurrection Weekend with Good Friday and then Sunday. I pray that, that we would, Lord, celebrate with a joyous heart that we as Christians have the greatest news ever proclaimed in the history of mankind, that the tomb is empty and he is alive. Thank you for this night. I pray you bless everyone here. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Jim, just real quick before you turn me off. Remember noon on Friday, the Good Friday service. Tell somebody about it. 9.30 live stream on Sunday. Next Wednesday, we'll be doing the prophecy update. And then if you're interested in getting one of those signs, uh, please let us know. 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, the 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 packets for the kids available. If you got any questions, please call us, leave a message. We'll call you back. We're praying for you. Love you guys. Hope to see you soon. Have a good evening.